From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, rituximab and orbital inflammatory disease. We think of these biologics as more like uh, smart bombs that, that work on a single mediator or a single step of the immune response. First this. If time and money were no object, you'd probably go to a lot of meetings. Not just ASCRS, but ESCRS, APACRS, AAO, Hawaiian Eye, and Winter Update, and you'd learn a ton. But money is an issue, and time an even bigger one. That's why I go to all of those meetings for you, speak with the presenters you'd like best, and get them to distill their talks down to just a few minutes. You can see all of these interviews at no cost at the iWorld Replay website. Just go to ewreplay.org, E-W-R-E-P-L-A-Y.org, and enjoy. To paraphrase Benjamin Franklin, he is the best physician who knows the dangers of the most medicines. In no case is this more true than when prescribing steroids. Yet in the case of orbital inflammatory disease, nay, orbital pseudotumor, steroids are the most important initial therapy. Steroid-sparing agents carry their own risks too. The alternative to both of these is biologic agents. Eric Suler is an expert in the use of biologics in ophthalmology, and I'm delighted to have him as my guest today. Broadly, what is orbital inflammatory disease, OID? Okay. So uh, we use the term orbital inflammatory disease to describe a collection of disease processes that can cause pain, diplopia, and vision loss, uh, which can result from either primary inflammatory conditions uh, or secondary conditions related to inflammation, infection, trauma, congenital disease, or malignant neoplasms. And the primary conditions that can affect the orbit include Graves' disease, granulomatosis with polyangiitis, which is formerly known as Wegener's granulomatosis, and nonspecific orbital inflammatory disease, which is what we characterize orbital inflammatory disease uh, when we can't obviously identify a, a primary cause. Uh, and, uh, and sometimes uh, this, term, this is also termed as uh, orbital pseudotumor. And what is conventional therapy for OID? So conventional therapy for OID is, so, so when, I, when I talked about Graves' disease being lumped in with OID, so, uh, so corticosteroids are the first line of therapy for, for essentially all forms of non-infectious orbital inflammatory disease. Uh, and I made the distinction with thyroid disease because some uh, investigators or clinicians have also used radiation as a first or second line therapy for orbital infl- uh, inflammation due to Graves' disease, but that's not commonly employed for other inflammatory causes. So corticosteroids are first line for Graves' uh, radiation may sometimes be employed, and then typically for uh, cases of orbital inflammation where uh, first line therapy has not been effective, then we use systemic immunos- uh, immunosuppression uh, with agents such as methotrexate, uh, mycophenolate, mofetil, azathioprine, uh, less commonly, uh, cyclosporine or tacrolimus, and then uh, more recently with biologic uh, agents. So on on the subject of biologics, and, and, and we're going to be talking about one biologic, rituximab, mm-hmm. uh, what, what constitutes a, a, a biologic agent in, in this context? What is it that, that, that distinguishes a, a, a yeah, biologic? Yeah, so, so, 
so, so broadly defined, a biologic could be used to describe any, uh, any naturally occurring molecule that's used uh, in the treatment of human diseases, including things like blood products. Uh, but, but in general, what we're speaking of, when we speak of a biologic, is a bioengineered molecule that either uh, blocks or acts as an agonist or an antagonist for a uh, cytokine or cytokine receptor uh, that, uh, that, that is active in the uh, inflammatory or immune response. So, so it's not something that's, that's directly cytotoxic, and it, it doesn't work in the same way that, that, um, that, that, a, that a steroid does. Absolutely not. Yeah. So we 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 wouldn't we wouldn't characterize them as directly cytotoxic. They work. You know, we we talk about uh, corticosteroids as having more of a shotgun or widely broadly sort of uh, immunosuppressing activity, and uh, we think of these biologics as more like uh, smart bombs that that work on a single mediator or a single step within the immune response uh, or a single cell type within the immune response. In the case of rituxan. Yeah. So w- what is uh, re- Tuximab and 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 for what conditions uh, um, has it been used? So uh, rituximab is a is an antibody which has specificity for the CD20 molecule, and CD20 is a molecule which is found on the cell surface of of all of the all B B lymphocytes or B cells uh, in the B cell lineage except for plasma cells. So the the, the ultimate terminal differentiation of uh, B cells is plasma cells, which whose job is to create immunoglobulins, and all the pre pre B cells and pro B cells that occur in the in the lineage of the the B cell development that occur prior to plasma cells are uh, blocked by by rituximab due to the effect that they express CD20. Now, how does rituximab work in in the context of uh, Graves? In the to- well, so in the context of Graves disease. Uh, and, and I should mention that the the use of rituximab was, had been reported uh, in in Graves' disease as well as in systemic lupus erythematosus and rheumatoid arthritis and B cell malignancies prior to the inception of our study. Uh, so uh, the the way that uh, rituximab works in Graves' disease presumably is by uh, eliminating B cells from the systemic circulation and then uh, eliminating them as a as a uh, component of the immune response due to their due, due to the activities that B cells commonly form, including creation of autoantibodies or, or immunoglobulins, and presumably by uh, elimination of B cells from being able to present antigen to T cells, which is another way that the immune response can be uh, started. Eric, what question did your study seek to answer? So our study sought to answer, and again, as, as I mentioned, uh, rituximab had previously been indicated to be uh, effective prior to the inception of our study for the treatment of B cell malignancies as well as uh, in rheumatoid arthritis uh, and other inflammatory diseases. And so since uh, rheumatoid arthritis and lupus, which I previously mentioned, are both entities that are commonly associated with either scleritis or orbital inflammation, uh, this, study, uh, this specific study that we're discussing today sought to, see, uh, to find out whether uh, using rituximab, blocking CD20, uh, using this molecule, would be beneficial in the treatment of people with orbital inflammatory disease that had been previously demonstrated to be refractory to oral corticosteroids and at least one other immunosuppressive drug. What was the design of this study, and and, and what main outcome measures did you use? So our study uh, was, was the outcome measures were uh, primarily two. 
Uh, one was uh, reduction in uh, corticosteroids, and one was uh, reduction in orbital inflammation using a modified uh, classification scale that we adapted from an investigator named Werner, which was published in the 1970s. So those were our, our main two outcome uh, variables. But we also looked at reduction in pain uh, and uh, assessment of uh, effectiveness both by uh, patient and provider uh, subjective assessment. So our design, it was, it was a, a randomized study in that we attempted to treat patients with two different uh, doses of rituximab, which had previously been shown to be effective in other uh, inflammatory diseases. Uh, half the patients, or approximately half the patients, got 500 milligrams uh, at loading infusions that were given at study day one and day 15, and the other patients were assigned to 1,000 milligrams uh, at the two loading infusions. And we didn't know at the time that we treated them, obviously, which patients got which dose, but it was a, an active control study, if you will, in that uh, all the patients were treated with, with one of the two doses of rituximab. No, no one received a placebo. And then we followed the patients for six months and uh, attempted to ascertain whether their orbital inflammation uh, was uh, well-controlled using the, the modified Warner scale that we described and also whether they were able to taper off corticosteroids if they were taking them. And then uh, people that had been demonstrated to be responders after 24 weeks in the study and then subsequently had, subsequently had breakthrough inflammation uh, between week 24 and week 48 were allowed to be reinfused. Uh, in other words, they received two uh, open-label infusions of rituximab at the higher of the two study doses, which was 1,000 milligrams uh, spaced two weeks apart in the two infusions. And what did you find? What were your results? Well, we found, uh, so, so this is a very small study, so uh, we weren't able to ascertain a difference between the two treatment groups, but they were both effective. Overall, seven of our 10 patients uh, showed evidence of benefit in the study and that they were able to meet one or both of the two outcome measures that I described uh, previously with regards to uh, either control of orbital inflammation using the modified grading scale or enable, being able to table corticosteroids. And what, what, what adverse events did you observe? Well, the most interesting uh, adverse event that we observed in the study, which was, in, in essence, I felt really almost a proof of concept that the drug was effective, is that in, in three of the first four patients we treated, we actually noted peri-infusional worsening of inflammation. Uh, and so when I, when I say that it was a proof of concept, uh, there are certainly, there are certainly uh, well-documented examples in the immunologic literature where uh, when a drug is uh, overly effective at, in killing its target cell uh, rapidly, that there can be actual inflammation due to the mass of cell death, cell death that's, uh, that's caused by the treatment in question. And the classic, the classic uh, example of this is a Jarish-Herxheimer response where someone who, someone who has syphilis is given penicillin and all the uh, spirochetes die at once and then the, the, the dying cells in the body, uh, which was the goal of the treatment to begin with, actually triggers a short-term increase in inflammation that has to be treated with corticosteroids. And in oncology, this, this is a well-known uh, entity, which is known as tumor lysis syndrome, where when you use a particularly effective uh, route of chemotherapy that kills lots of cancer cells at once, there can be an inflammatory response that's, that's caused. And, uh, and we saw something very similar to this in, in our orbital inflammatory disease patients and also the the scleritis patients, which we, which we uh, investigated under a related protocol, where at times patients actually worsened before they got better, and we had to use corticosteroids to deal with the peri-infusional worsening, which, which we presume to be due to massive uh, B-cell death from infusion of rituximab. 
and, and some of those B cells uh, aren't necessarily measurable in the, in the bloodstream because they're contained in the, in the tissue compartments in question where the inflammation exists. Uh, so the B cells that were actually confined to the orbit probably all died and uh, spilled their contents into the uh, orbital space at once, and that, that may have led some people to transiently get worse before they got better. And all the patients that we had that transiently did worsen due to the tumor lysis-like response, in fact, proved to be patients that met criteria for success later in the study. Yeah, there, there, there's, I mean, obviously, there, I'm sure that there are a lot of cognates. There's something similar, too, with um, parasitic treatment, with, mm-hmm. with, with filariasis, that, that you, you get this, this, is, this, this liberation of uh, um, um, antigen at the very start. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you make the point that conventional therapy like steroids and radiation provide an initial improvement, but recurrence is common because the underlying disease process is not addressed. Can, can I get you to, to talk about this point a little bit? Yeah. So, um, so uh, you know, with, with many of the inflammatory diseases we treat, be it uveitis or scleritis or orbital inflammation, you know, we, we, we can affect a short-term, short-term improvement with oral corticosteroids. But uh, I, I tell patients commonly in our clinic that, you know, many of the drugs we use are uh, have, have dangerous side effects or side effects that, that require careful monitoring, but the most dangerous drug we use on a day-to-day basis is corticosteroids because prednisone, in, in using it long-term, uh, can cause an increased risk of things like hip fractures and infections and diabetes and high blood pressure and infections. But even if you control for all of those things, and there's excellent literature in the rheumatology world that, that substantiates this, even if you control for all of those uh, comorbid factors that may shorten uh, longevity or increase morbidity, uh, after controlling for all those things, even then corticosteroids reduce the quality and quantity of life that patients have if, if used in, in the long term. So uh, corticosteroids are uh, very effective but, but very toxic if used in the long term. So for people that have a, a more chronic disease process, more indolent disease process, uh, we, we use immunosuppressive therapy to get them off corticosteroids both to reduce morbidity from side effects, but also to reduce, reduce mortality and, and to improve patients' quantity and quality of life. Now, granted, the, 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 this next question was not, not the focus of the study, but I still want you to sort of, sort of mm-hmm. speculate on it. Do OID patients require long-term B-cell suppression? So it's an interesting question. So uh, what we found in our study is that, is that many of the patients that we that were initially uh, benefited by the by infusion with rituximab had breakthrough inflammation. So just just as in with uh, many of the other people that we treat, both with orbital inflammation or scleritis or uveitis, there there, there certainly is probably a subset of people that need to be treated long term, uh, be it with B cell suppression or with other uh, agents. Uh, and in terms of uh, B cell suppressions, the question that we're Asked sometimes is how long do people need to continue to receive the the anti B cell infusions because they're quite expensive and you know there's a hassle factor of having to come into the hospital for uh, two infusions uh, spaced two weeks apart that need to be repeated periodically uh, and I think more study is needed to be done to figure out what the optimal interval is but but what we've commonly uh, adopted after having done the study is that people that we uh, treat with a single dose of infusions. Uh, that show benefit. We, we, we schedule them for a reinfusion in six months. We don't wait for them to flare up before deciding they need to be treated again. And then typically after 
two or three rounds of infusions, and we'll consider uh, observing them and seeing if the disease recurs, which is pretty similar to what we do with most other immunosuppressive drugs, in, in that if someone's been quiet for a year or two, uh, we'll try to taper them off and see, see how they do to make sure they still have a, an ongoing need for immunosuppression. Your protocol employed rituximab only for patients who failed conventional therapy, oral corticosteroids, uh, and and at least one one other immunosuppressive medication. Given the efficacy and apparent safety of rituximab, do you plan to use uh, rituximab as 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 a second or or even first line therapy for these patients going forward? Well, I think it's an interesting question. It's really the the effectiveness as a second or first-line agent uh, hasn't been studied as comprehensively, and the practical reason for that is just that it's so uh, darn expensive to use rituximab or many of these other biologics. So, uh, you know, we we know with the TNF blockers that they're extremely effective for uveitis, and and they're also very effective for uh, scleritis and for some people with orbital inflammation, but uh, just due to the price tag and also due to the potential uh, risk of increased malignancy that's been uh, proposed with TNF blockers that we, we rarely start with those as, as first-line therapy. With rituximab, I don't think that we're aware of any increased risk of malignancy. Certainly, there's an increased risk of, of, of serious infections, but I think the main reason that it probably is not going to be commonly employed as a uh, first-line therapy and, and less commonly as a second-line therapy than uh, standard immunosuppression is probably due to cost. And so I, I would expect that most third-party pairs would expect us to have tried corticosteroids and at least one other immunosuppressive uh, prior to employing uh, biologic drugs like Rituxan or, or the TNF blockers. The interesting question that I'm commonly asked when I talk about these biologics in, in various different sort of venues is people, you know, in ophthalmology, we've become very accustomed to injecting biologics into the eye. And I mean, the classic example of that is uh, obviously, VEGF blockers for the treatment of uh, age-related macular degeneration or diabetes or vein occlusions. And so people always ask if there's a, a role for local therapy. And, and you know, rituxan is used as part of a, a, a local th- therapy regimen for uh, intraocular lymphomas uh, in conjunction with methotrexate at, at our institution. Uh, and in terms of its use for other uh, Indications in ophthalmology, I'm not really aware of any. Certainly, it wouldn't seem to make a lot of sense to, to treat orbital inflammation with intraocular injection since it's not being uh, delivered to the Get to the site yeah. where the disease exists. Um, but I think, you know, local therapy with these biologic drugs is, is an area that people are always seemingly interested in, and, and uh, I guess we'll just continue to monitor that. Eric, thank you very much for, for you know, sharing this, for being so, so generous with your time with me today. It's a pleasure. Eric Suler is Associate Professor of Ophthalmology at the Argonne Health and Science University and Chief of Ophthalmology at the Portland Veterans Administration Medical Center in Portland, Oregon. His paper, Rituximab Therapy for Refractory Orbital Inflammation, Results of a Phase 1-2 Dose-Ranging Randomized Clinical Trial, appear in the May 2014 issue of JAMA Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Suler or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.